Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, episode number eight. Today we are going to discuss a specific question, what makes a book good? And there's a little bit of an explanation of how we got to this discussion. Just like the Inklings, we've mentioned this before, the three of us all like to read good books and we have aspirations to write. And a few days ago, I, Charlie, was reading a little portion of a story that I'm writing to these other two men and it got us down the rabbit trail of a discussion about good books. We're going to bring you along with us in this conversation. And so we're going to try to recreate that exact same moment. We're going to read the excerpt and then we're going to discuss. So here's the excerpt. A little bit of background. The main character, his name is Edwin or his nickname is Dwin. And he is underneath a tutor whose name is Professor Grumble. And Grumble That's is... That's me. <laughs> it, it, well, it might be loosely based on Dr. Rowe. So... <laughs> I'm the grumbler. <laughs> that was not my intent. He's, he's having this struggle of reading and imagining, and that's kind of where we come into the story, where he is trying to understand and read a book, and he just doesn't, he, he's not getting it. So this is, it starts off with Grumble initiating this conversation with Edwin. You look a bit upset, Edwin. Is this true? His voice communicated concern and grace. Here the tutoring truly began. Now, if you have ever tried to communicate with a teacher about how you do not understand a word or a thought or an idea, you might understand the difficulty Dwin had in depicting the problems he was having to grumble. It's just not good, summarized Dwin. All the book is talking about is places and people and things that they did. This is a similar statement to what he had thought the day before, that the book was dry. But good is a much different word than dry. This time, Grumble could not help but grin. What do you mean that it is not good? You certainly aren't making a moral statement regarding the book or its contents. Do you mean that you do not enjoy the book? Well, I guess that is what I'm saying. The book is just dry. Dry? Books are rarely wet. That would certainly ruin the book to make it wet. No, that will not do at all. Well, that's not what I mean, Dwin replied. The book just doesn't feel the same way the movie did. The movie presented the characters in the story in a much different way. It was exciting. It drew me in. I just can't get into this book. Hmm, Grumble sighed. You just can't get into this book. He paused. He stood up and started walking around the room, but continued. First, Edwin, that is altogether a statement about you and not about the book. That is in, let's see here. So good. Someday, maybe, if the, uh, my Google Doc is frozen, I can't tell you what chapter it's in. But, so, as I read that, there's a very direct question that is being circulated here is, what makes a book good? And Grumble and Edwin are discussing this in a humorous fashion, and it got us down the rabbit trail of this question, what really does make a book good? How do I decide, air quotes, that a book is good? So let's discuss that. I think it's interesting how you connected it to morality, but then disconnected it from morality. So he wasn't making a moral statement about the book being good or bad. He was making a 
different kind of efficiency or interest level assessment. And that was his barometer of whether or not a book was good or not. And it's interesting that we do the same thing, actually. And the ancients did as well. In Jonah chapter 1, you have a storm that comes, and the storm is described as a bad storm. It's not making a moral assessment about the storm. It's just that it's terrible, okay? And just like when we might say, man, that was a really bad storm. Well, it wasn't some moral, morally evil storm. It's just like it was a violent storm and is a, uh, and maybe in its destruction, it left results that in our assessment were not good. Mm-hmm. They were bad. In the design of that excerpt, it's actually a turning point in the story where there, some other things are going to happen in the story that very same night that are going to start changing the main character's perception of books mm. or his imagination. But anyway, let's let's begin with Stearns. You're going to read from Mortimer, correct? Sure. Yep. His, give uh, give yep. his criteria. This is uh, we've mentioned before this book, How to Read a Book, by Mortimer Adler and Charles Van Doren. Great name. Mm-hmm. And he has criteria for what makes a book great. Yeah, so the background here is if you Google the great books list, there's a giant book of, or a giant list of all the books that uh, scholars would think are really, really significant books for Western history. And Adler, he's the one who put that list together. He has three criteria for including a book on that list. So part of why we would start here is if, if you were to ask anyone else, hey, what makes a book good? They're probably going to be familiar with what Adler says. All right, so here's the three lists, the three criteria. The first one is that a book has to have contemporary significance. The idea here is that the book is talking about something that's relevant to problems and issues today. If it has nothing to say with what we're doing now, it's not going to make the list. It, didn't, it wouldn't have made the list for Adler. Number two, the book is inexhaustible. And here it's the idea that you can read it over and over and over again. Now, if you think about the typical movie with a plot line, once, if it's a mystery, part of the interest in that movie is that you want to find out what happens. Well, once you find out what happens, sometimes it's not worth watching it again. Some books are like that. It's a fiction story. It was interesting, but you're done with it. But the great books, according to him, are the kind that you can read it, get something out of it, and then when you read it again and again and again, it keeps paying off. He says it this way. He says, this is an exacting criterion, an ideal that is fully attained only by a small number of the, get this, 511 works we selected. This is a big list. All right, third criteria is this. The book is relevant to a large number of the great ideas and great issues that have occupied minds of thinking individuals for the last, oh, 25 centuries. So that's where Adler would start, and there's a number of great books lists. There's a Harvard's books list. I don't know. What do you guys think about those ideas? Well, the first and the third one are a little bit, I don't know, contradictory. His first point about it has to have contemporary significance well, something that has might not have contemporary significance may have had contemporary significance true. in its day. And it may and, yet have. Right. And when they're writing for 25 centuries, we're looking at the past 25 yep. centuries of writing, mm-hmm. then, I don't know, I guess I could see some works coming in and out. I think it's fascinating that Lord of the Rings was not a bestseller when it was released. Mm-hmm. And why was that? I guess maybe we haven't thought about that. The issues that Lord of the Rings was bringing up was not interest. The world was not interested in them when yeah. they were published. When when did the the Greenpeace movement start to grow? You know, the interest in nature because when you have in Lord of the Rings the battle between 
yep. the orcs and the destruction and all of that, the Nature, industrialization. Mechanization, industrial, yep. Exactly. Yep. And then what do you have? The ants and the trees and mm-hmm. nature and everything. Well, that green movement began in like the 70s and 80s. And when did you see the Lord of the Rings start growing in popularity? So maybe then that's a good tip for our listener and for ourselves. Uh, you might find a book that someone has said is a good book. You need to analyze, is that a really good book? But on the issue of relevancy, you may not see the relevancy. But if it's someone you trust who knows the Lord and has walked the path of Christianity consistently, it might be worth trusting them if they say it's relevant. I know there are books that I had to read that I thought were stupid. Later, I realized why they were so helpful. So that might be a, a good thought for us to think. Yes. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Tim. Well, just as we evaluate what is a good book, it might not seem good to us at the time, but who knows how the real problem is. Just like Dwin, the problem wasn't the book. The problem was him, yep. and the problem is us. Good. Yeah, I, there's a lot of thoughts I had on that. Uh, on Mortimer's list, really the third one is what kind of jumps off to me. And when you get into the content of a book, that does help determine its objective value. What are things that have puzzled and captivated minds for the existence of man? And from the onset until now, I would say the chief category has to be theology. Oh, yes. Yep. And philosophy. And so, you know, if you're trying to discern discern the difference between two books and one is going to help you, and this is a key word, understand Mm. something more about God. It's not just reading to learn facts about the Bible or about what it says, and it's just like a numerical sense or just a knowledge sense, but you're gaining more theological understanding, that theme and its content would be very good. Very good. What was number two? Number two was the book is inexhaustible. It can be read again and again with benefit. So when I think of that, I think of like the abolition of man. The Bible. Uh, the Bible. Honestly, I think the Bible is it. It's it's one of those living books that not living in the sense that you can reinterpret it like a non-originalist to the Constitution, but because it was written by the living God, like what Hebrews says, it, it gets down into our hearts. In Poetic Diction by Owen Barfield, he gets into this type of a discussion. When someone reads something that they really, there's, there's not a good word to describe this, but they really enjoy or using his own terminology, they have a felt change of their own consciousness. Like a really good poem, a really good book does this thing to you. He recognizes there's a problem that, why do you go back to read that same book again? Is it because you're trying to get that same feeling again? And are there differences in the skill of a book or a poem? Or do certain works become timeless in the way that they can you know, move someone? And I think it gets into the intent. And so I, I sketched out two things here. I have two points of where I would maybe think through if a book is good. I would say a good, a good book is skillful in that it accomplishes its own purpose, like as if a book could have its own goal, personify the book and what it wants to accomplish to you, or maybe the author would be the person you're using there, or it accomplishes my purpose for reading it. That oh. gets into this, like, okay, why am I going back to that book? And my purpose could be to have a higher understanding of something. And there are certain books, like Mortimer says, that you cannot exhaust in their understanding. Like you can never grasp the heights of the scriptures. You cannot. I can go to them for the rest of my life and they can change me. I can gain more understanding about who God is as I become more like him. But then there's another purpose that is different to understanding and knowledge. And actually Mortimer brings this up in his book too, 
it's entertainment. And I, I want to read oh, yeah, this is the a good section quote. that he talks oh, yes. about. This is actually chapter one of how to read a book. It's on page 10 in my edition. He says, of course, there is still another goal of reading besides gaining information and understanding, and that is entertainment. However, this book will not much be concerned with reading for entertainment. It is the least demanding kind of reading, and it requires the least amount of effort. Furthermore, there are no rules for it. Everyone who knows how to read at all can read for entertainment if he wants to. In fact, any book that can be read for understanding or information can probably be read for entertainment as well. Just as a book that is capable of increasing our understanding can also be read purely for the information it contains. But then what's really important is this parenthesis here. This proposition cannot be reversed. It is not true that every book that can be read for entertainment can also be read for understanding. My idea there is like a book can be really good in accomplishing a certain purpose, whether it's the book's purpose or my purpose. A very popular fiction book in our time is Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. Many, many people have read Harry Potter, enjoyed the movies, and what value does that book have? And I would say that it, if the purpose is purely entertainment, it might be good in that sense. Like I can be entertained. Good by as in that. like skillful. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it helps entertain me. It yep. does entertain me. But if I then switch purposes and I want to think and I want to understand something more about myself and the world or God, Harry Potter would not be a good book because what am I going to gain from that book except the worldview of its author, a worldview where, you know, really humanity is ultimately kind of good. It yep. promotes this character who's got the power within himself. Mm -hmm. And so thinking through the purpose of what the book is trying to do, or what I'm trying to get from the book helps me determine its quality. There might be an entertainment purpose that is really skillful from a book, but comparing that book of entertainment to a book of understanding one would always outrank the other. Like, for example, Harry Potter, which would be purely entertainment, would never rank higher to me than the scriptures. That's because right. Because I, I could not compare them in their overall goal and what they accomplish. I think it might be better to evaluate two works of fiction. For example, uh, The Green Ember is a oh, youth fiction title. It's really good. And it's a good story. Really I would good. say that it's well-written as well, and it's entertaining but within the story, the author is trying to communicate worldview, Christian worldview. Yes. The idea of sacrifice uh, for one's neighbor, for one's friend, one's brother. The uh, principles even of what's beautiful, which is a fascinating discussion in a children's book that's interspersed there. As children do not value what's nice and beautiful and good. And as reading that book to my children, it has provided several opportunities to then segue into Christian truth. So I, I like the comparison maybe between Harry Potter, purely entertainment, and then Green Ember, there's entertainment, but there's also something more there. He's teaching edification. biblical, yeah, edification, yeah. biblical worldview, uh, biblical uh, truths. And just to, to add to that same idea, Stearns, you had your, you, Stearns really wants to say something, but I want to throw something in. Uh, I have not re read Green Ember, is that what it's called? Oh, it's yeah. so good, But Charlie. I have read a book called The Goblin and the Princess. It's written by a man from the 1800s, George MacDonald. And if you're familiar with C.S. Lewis at all... Did he have a farm? I don't know. George <laughs> MacDonald had a farm? Oh, no, that's a different guy. Squirrel. <laughs> yeah, that's very accurate. Go ahead. But so C.S. Lewis, he kept track of the books that he read. He would usually track when he read them. This would be, 
how do you say of someone who's passed away that this is their favorite book? But I think if he was going to list books, which he actually did, we won't get into that now, this, as a child, I think he loved The Goblin and the Princess. This was a fiction book written by a Christian man, and it had a deep impact on C.S. Lewis. He says that MacDonald baptized his imagination, and this was you know, the goal of a Christian author to promote a Christian worldview, and it, it had a huge bearing on C.S. Lewis. Now, why did C.S. Lewis go to that book as a child? Because it was fun and entertaining. Because it was entertaining. So just, just to illustrate that sometimes those purposes intermingle. You were talking about, does the book do what it sets out to accomplish? And that entertainment can be purely entertaining, but it doesn't do all that it, you know, it doesn't do much for you. But then other books can be work, like difficult to understand. You have to work through them. And so maybe a, maybe a, an, um, an illustration of that could be like a conversation with someone. It's really easy to talk about pleasantries with someone you see at the grocery store. Just have a quick conversation about the weather or the Hawkeyes or whatever team you like that's not as good as the Hawkeyes. Blah, blah, blah. But those, those do you think of a difficult conversation you've had to have with someone or something where you've, you've really tried to understand what someone else is saying. You've worked for over an hour on, on a topic, but in the end you understood each other better and you understood something else and you're, you're more mentally equipped. You might think of entertainment works or fiction works in a similar manner if it's a conversation with the author is it the kind of like oh pleasant day hey the, and it's okay it's not wrong to have those kind of conversations but if you only ever have those kinds of conversations you're not actually developing your ability to think about life better right so you're bringing in the concept of the renewal of the mind which is one of the big categories as far as identifying a good book Romans 12:2 be not conformed to this world but be transformed how by the renewal of the mind so there's biblical evidence that this is what, how we should define a good book. Does it renew the mind? Does it make you think? If a book is only making you feel, it is a bad book. The feelings, uh, if, a, if a book is fostering the flesh, if it's feeding the flesh, that's how I define a bad book. Uh, I manage a Christian bookstore. And uh, one of the sections within the Christian bookstore is the fiction section. Uh, Christian fiction often incorrectly balances these feelings and this intellect. A good book is going to not, not, it won't, it won't feed the flesh. It's not going to promote that feeling. It's going to promote the thinking. So within uh, my scope, man, I really liked that book. Now, I may have disagreed with the author. I may have even disagreed with his main premise. But it made me think. And so because it made me think, I'll often say, man, that was a good book. So renewal of the mind would be one of my categories for identifying a good book. Yeah, I think that's maybe for me the primary idea that I would put behind. So when I was thinking about this, I came up with two axioms, I'll call them, or two, I don't know, whatever you want to say. These are, these are Stearns' two axioms for a good book. Number one, it helps me think the right things. And number two, it helps me love the right things in the right ways. So I want to unpack both my axioms. Number one, it helps me think the right things. So this has something to do with what Dr. Little was just saying, renewing the mind. So if you think about Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to start in verse 17. Paul is, is writing to the Ephesians. He's explaining that you are no longer those, the, the old man, the old person. You're, you're not in 
the kingdom of darkness. You're not an unbeliever. You're now in Christ. You've made this transition. And he's going to say, now that you've transitioned, don't go back and live like that old person. Notice how he describes those unbelievers, those old people, the Gentiles. He says this, he says, Now I say and testify to you in the Lord that you must no longer walk or live or live your life as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now I want to be quick to point out so we don't go over uh, in, in from one side of the ditch of being unreflective to the other side of being hyper-reflective and intellectual. It's not wrong to be intellectual, but it's not just that you're smart. There are a lot of very, very intelligent people out there who do think very, very well, but they still have a darkened mind. So it's more than just intellectual prowess, but it's, it's at least related to that. Because look what he says. He says that the futility of their minds, they are darkened. That's not light. That's not that's what Dr. Lewis said this like four podcasts ago. There are people who, by spreading what they say, they're actually casting darkness, not light illumination. Right. It's, it's darkening. It's keeping people's thoughts down. They're darkened in what? They're understanding alienated from the life of God. So I would say that if I read a book and it causes me to be more understanding of Christianity, more understanding of proper worldviews, uh, I think of the Proverbs sense of uh, understanding in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, you can understand the wise words of the sages, the dark, Dr. Lowe's going to just jump all over this, but the dark sayings, the enigmas. Mm-hmm. I don't like dark sayings. Well, Say, how enigmas. Would you, yeah, enigmas. enigmas. The riddles, the yeah. Yeah, and why go ahead and explain why do wise people talk like that to him? Because they want to make you think. Exactly. So that means some people actually don't get it. Yes. And so you think about Jesus doing parables, he would speak in ways where the people he wanted to know would hear it and the people who weren't going to get it wouldn't hear it. So there is a, a mental aspect to it. So if a book helps me to think the right things, then I think that's helpful. If it gives me understanding, if it gives me clarification. All right, second axiom, I'll make it fast. It helps me to love the right things in the right ways. If you think about good and evil, this is the morality of the book. This is the flesh and the spirit. If I read a book and it disciples me to love what is wicked, then no matter how good and intellectually stimulating that book is, it's a bad book in my book, in my record. (laughs) So here's how I would say it. The book should show good as good and evil as evil even if it does that by showing the goodness of good by picturing the evilness of evil. So sometimes we think we got to show forth good is good, and so we talk about the goodness of good. But you can show how good something is by showing how bad other things are. So sometimes you read something and it talks about evil, it decries it. So I think of a movie. Anytime there's an evil character doing evil things and the, the director gets you to kind of root for the evil guy and think he's okay and he's not that bad, that's calling evil good, and that's wicked. Isaiah 5. Exactly. It's what you say it is. And so if a, if a book puts up a guy doing the right thing and makes him look horrible like you would never want to do that, then it's, it's bad. It's a bad book. So I would say helps you think the right things, and it helps you love the right things in the right ways. And I just want to, um, piggybacking off of what Stearns is talking about there, caution you. I want to caution you about reading bad books. It's interesting what books do in that they make you imagine and think. And a good book is going to help you to imagine and think better. A bad book is also going to make, uh, help you think, say help you, but hurt you really, think badly and think worse. So, I mean, what's, what's better? Watching a movie, let's look at the good side first. Watching a good movie or reading the book instead. 
The book is better because the book is going to foster your imagination, is going to help you to think better. The same is true, I think, of bad things. A bad movie or a bad book. I think the bad book is worse because it's going to foster that imagination toward evil, not toward good. Yes, I would totally agree. One of the techniques of Satan all throughout the Bible is to take things that are good and then twist it and not let you know it. Lewis's idea, the way he calls this is bent. So you're, you're bent, you're twisted, you're crooked. And so I think that's it. It's, it's unsuspecting. It's trying to get you, sometimes it uses that. You could think of it like a workout. When you read a book, it's like going to the gym and working out. When you watch something, it's like sitting and watching someone work out and every now and then you might help them out a little. It's just going to be more profitable if you read. I watch a lot of TV and stuff, so I'm not saying you can't, but reading is good. So your two axioms. My axioms are a good book is one that helps me to think the right things. So I'll pause you there. And that was, Tim, kind of your big idea was that renewal of the mind. Yeah. So there's, and, a, there's a big idea for you there. Do the books that I read help renew my mind? Axiom two. It helps me to love the right things in the right ways. So are the books that I'm reading helping me to love the things that I should love in the appropriate proportions? Yes. Obviously. So Ordinately. The, mm-hmm. the things that would be at the top of the list. What I read, the book, does it help me love God more? Does it help Amen. me to love myself yes. less? Yes. That's great. And then does the book accomplish its mm-hmm. or my purpose for it? Mm-hmm. Am I And comparing those goals together, is this book helping me think and understand or is it just an entertainment thing? And not to, I mean, I, I watch TV shows, I watch yep. movies, yeah. I read books for entertainment too. Oh, yeah. In fact, I'll say probably top five most entertaining books that I've read this year, Pride and Prejudice. Anyway. I, told, I want to read that. Now that you've read that, I really want to read that it, book. It draws you in. But anyway, anyway so. <laughs> no interest. No, you can't Aww. say you have no interest. <laughs> Little interest. Little. <laughs> okay. So those, those are kind of our three, <laughs> a list maybe, three things that we talked about there. And we just want to remind you, read books. When you're trying to compare activities together, okay, I'm going to hang out with friends, I'm going to watch the movie, you know, and throw studying in there too. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's, a, that's a big task for a student, if you're a student. When you're trying to decide how to spend that, maybe you only have an hour of free time a day. And you read books all day, but generally you're reading books to gain information to pass the test. It's probably going to be very beneficial for you to sacrifice the easy, the comfortable, the entertaining, to really think and read for understanding, to read to love God more, to read to accomplish a greater purpose. And so do that. Take this conversation and go and read. And do it with other people. So start a reading group. Part of what's helped us all read at this table is we will read and we will talk about it. That's like take, and that's where you could take a bad book. You could read it and then you tear it apart. And then it's not accomplishing its purpose, but you're accomplishing yours. So to bring it full circle, you think, man, that book is just not good. Well, are you making a statement about the book? Are you making a statement about yourself? Oh, so good. Thanks for being here with us this week. We will see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.